0: so that if somebody was to break into your house and threaten you with a with a big wrench and say give me all your bitcoin you could give them those seed words and say here's my wallet and um, they'll you know if, if they're a semi-smart criminal they'll check that before they leave your house they'll see a small smaller amount of bitcoin and they might see that as a win and then that'll be enough to get them off your case
1: This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit.
2: Thanks for joining us again here on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. We've got a great discussion for you today with Bitcoin QA joining us. QA is a privacy and security expert. He has some of the most in-depth guides around for securing your Bitcoin using coin joins, multi-sig wallets, nodes, lightning network, you name it. On his site, bitcoiner.guide, he's got some of the best. We highly recommend you check that out. We barely scratched the surface of all the information QA has to offer, but we took a successful stab at explaining seed words, hardware wallets, software wallets, and multi-sig setups. With all this in mind, it's always best to remember that more people lose their money by making stupid mistakes than will get robbed or hacked. So be careful. Practice this stuff. Don't get out over your skis and experiment with small amounts of money. If you are in the market for a new hardware wallet or signing device, check out the Passport. It's a new hardware wallet that QA has contributed to developing. It can be found at FoundationDevices.com. If you want to follow Bitcoin QA on Twitter, his handle is at Bitcoin underscore QA, and we are at, at Blue underscore Collar BTC. You can also send us an email at Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast at Gmail. Enjoy the show. All views and language expressed
1: by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only.
2: Bitcoin QA, welcome to the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast. How are you today? I am well, thank you, gents. How are we both doing? Uh, We're doing well. Uh, fantastic. We, it's funny, like um, for the longest time I've been listening to Odell on TFTC and uh, his podcast. And he's he's said so much about your website, bitcoiner.guide, that uh, I just assumed it was his. And so we had <laughs> yeah. this whole... And I think this happens to you quite a bit. Actually, I've noticed it, it does a yeah. lot on Twitter. It's been one of those things where after I made the mistake and there was that whole issue of like giving credit to someone else and <laughs> i was still suspecting at the time i was like i think this is maybe a nim he's running and he doesn't want people to know for sure That's i actually thought that but clearly
0: you're uh you aren't matt odell so definitely not D- despite what the rumors say i am not matt odell um but uh I, yeah quite a few people have made that mistake um and i'm kind of thankful for him uh uh, shilling my stuff for me because it means that I don't have to be, be sort of that guy on Twitter that's sort of shilling his own stuff all the time. Matt kind of does it for me, which, uh, which is kind of nice.
1: I'm going to tell you guys right now, I'm not, Josh, I'm not convinced he's not Matt O'Dell. I think there's (laughs) a very, I think there's a very real possibility that, uh, this is a
2: really cunning and brilliant voice disguise. Yeah. Matt (laughs) espouses a British accent in, uh, an enlightening and engaging way. The the best
1: part of that is, if my theory there is indeed true, that we are talking to Matt O'Dell, we now have a scenario where Matt O'Dell has had a series of conversations, hours worth of conversations, with himself. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: he might uh, be able to yeah. pull it off. I've uh, I've started to make a habit now that um, that when Matt shares something on Twitter of mine, that I comment underneath and just uh, comment at, and congratulate him on how great the the guide is.
1: I will say, I listened to your. We both listened to your recent uh, discussion with him on Citadel Dispatch. Extremely good. We will link that in the show notes. Um, A very exhaustive, thorough, and helpful exploration of a lot of introductory Bitcoin themes for for noobs and intermediates. Dare I even say experts alike? So well done, and we'll link that in the show notes.
0: Yeah thanks uh Dispatch it is a really great podcast but um uh, Matt and the guests that he has on uh, have a habit of diving quite deep into some specific topics which can get um a little bit uh overwhelming for for people that are newer to the space so I think that uh, that episode will hopefully help uh, the, yeah. that sort of demographic. I do think because I've listened to a ton of those episodes and I
2: love it when they I mean even when it's over my head I can still pull a few really good nuggets out of it and understand and maybe grow a little bit, having been pushed into that fire, you know, it's a very good thing to expose yourself, maybe a little over your head, because you'll still come out of it learning some things that you didn't otherwise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's very much the way that I, I've i sort of tried to learn over the last couple of years as well is uh, give you an example. I bought um, uh, Andreas Antonopoulos' book, Mastering Bitcoin, which is incredibly technical. And the first time that I read through it, I'm going to say like 95% of it went completely straight over my head. But like you say, you know, I've been back through it a couple of times now and, and the each, with each pass, more and more of it makes sense. And it, it sort of uh, ties up some loose ends that, you know, where I might have read a, read upon a, a specific topic or on Twitter or something, uh, you'll stumble across a similar topic within the book and you'll be like, oh shit, you'll have that light bulb moment where, um, you know, things just slowly start to click together. Right. So I'm curious,
2: do you uh, do you code at all? Or are you just somebody who's just dove down the technical path without having any coding experience and just kind of learning as you go?
0: Yeah, none whatsoever. I, I couldn't be any further from a developer. And, and my personal background, again, couldn't be any further from that. Um I'm just somebody who has um, smashed their head off a keyboard multiple, multiple <laughs> times until something sinks in. Um but equally I, I've been absolutely blessed with uh you know, over the last couple of years I've I've spent time um virtually online with with a lot of people that have been very, very good to me and, and, and sort of been good enough to spend time to slowly explain things to me or or to hold my hand if I'm trying to um, you know, dive into running a, a new node or something like that, then people yeah. have been really uh, generous with their time, which is uh, one of the massive pros of the Bitcoin space, really. So I, I, I kind of just try and pay that forward, really, when people come to me for advice. One thing I love about that QA
1: is that it's a testament to how ultimately accessible this stuff is. And this is something Josh and I have, have barked out quite a bit. We're, we're a couple technical dunces. I mean, we have no fucking clue what we're doing. We don't know how to code whatsoever, and not that we're not that we're super versed in all this stuff. But for the average person, we look "quote unquote" technical when it comes to Bitcoin, and it just simply comes from exploration, trial and error, getting your hands dirty. And I, I'm, obviously, you're a much more uh, developed case than we are. But somebody like yourself can just dive in have an open mind, continuously learn and develop a lot of these skills. But yeah, it's not going to happen overnight.
0: Yeah, you've got to put the work in. Um, you know, proof of work is a, is a concept that's banded around in the space quite a lot. And then, you know, it, it's true to, you know, not just to the protocol, it's true to your own personal learning as well, is that there's there's hundreds and thousands of people out there willing, willing to help. Um, but yeah. you've got to be able to, like you say, dedicate the time to it, which, you know, um, it is difficult in, in daily life. You know, we've all got jobs and kids and... Um, I guess that's kind of testament to the um, to the draw that that the Bitcoin ecosystem has is that you know any any spare sort of free time that people have when they're sort of even marginally engrossed into this, it slowly just sort of worms its way into your world, and and you find yourself spending more and more time reading about it, listening it, listening about to podcasts about it, um, or just spending time you know educating yourself. It's uh, a bit of a mind virus. Yeah, I. I'm actually blown away over the last four years.
2: I've been involved in this since 2017, and Dan has as well. And I remember going into some deep dives back then, trying to figure out what's the best way to hold this stuff as securely as possible. And I stumbled into something called the Glacier Protocol. This isn't something that I've even talked about on the show at all. And I've, I don't even know if I've talked to Dan about it, but I'm sure you're familiar with what this is, QA. It's It was an extremely esoteric deep dive into how to buy Uh, kind of a a laptop that was you basically buy a cheap laptop you drill out the Wi-Fi card you make it completely offline you buy a bunch of dice you do dice rolls the the amount of effort that went into securing cold stored Bitcoin before some of these maybe much more streamlined wallets and uh, things like the cold card it was so much more difficult to do this kind of stuff back in the day than it is now it's it's mind-blowing how easy this is compared to four five years ago.
0: Yeah. I remember first reading about the, the Glacier protocol uh, a while back. It's not something that I've ever sort of really dove into, but, um, I remember reading it and, you know, um, I shit myself thinking that, you know, all, all <laughs> the crazy. steps that I, all the steps that I you know, taken up to that point were, were completely worthless. And I'm thinking, oh my yeah. God, you know, I I've been using my MacBook book that, that I've been using for like seven years to do all my bitcoin stuff on and have i done it all wrong and yeah um, I, you know i think i think there's <laughs> absolutely value in in that level of security for people that know what they're doing um but i'm absolutely not convinced whether that you know the the 95 of us um that are likely to be listening to this podcast need to even consider anything like that right so many the, other better options out there now yeah
2: that was like the assumption that the nsa was trying to steal your bitcoin and you had to be in a, like a safe room with like no ability for anyone to hear your keystrokes and like all kinds of craziness. It's total paranoia stuff.
1: And and the degree the- to
2: which, you know, we've said this
1: on the show, but the degree to which this technology is accelerating does make your head explode. I mean, you, you have to draw parallels to the early internet. Like I think there are a lot of big new entrants to Bitcoin that even in today's climate near 2021 get introduced to this. And it's, Complicated to a point where they're like, "Well, this is never going to work." And your rebuttal is, "Well, so did people say in 1984 when it came to email?" And now here's my mom who could barely turn on a computer ten years ago, sending emails with ease. So these things are going to taper off in terms of complexity. Uh, but overall, I agree, Josh. It is wonderful. I mean, this stuff is is accessible to damn near everyone with a brain. Like if you if you go on BTT, BTC sessions and just follow an eight minute video, you can do this stuff.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So QA, um, let's dive into this. I want to hear some of your thoughts on, uh, maybe some of your favorite hardware wallets for new beginners and maybe intermediate people. And then what are just some of the best practices for holding your keys and making sure that you don't screw it up and lose your money?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to start by stating the obvious here Um, and hopefully, well, I've listened to loads of your podcast and I know that this is something that you guys champion as well is um, ultimately holding your own keys is uh, 1 million percent better than not holding your own keys and having your funds, you know, um, held uh, in a custodian like a a centralized exchange. Um, I, I personally think that even if that's in a mobile wallet it's still distinctly better than leaving it on an exchange because you you, you've essentially got a massive amount of third-party risk where they could um, withhold the access to what's rightfully yours um, at at will Um, you know they could ask for more uh, information or they could uh, you know god forbid that you know these uh, cases are getting uh, fewer and far between thankfully Um, but the exchange could be hacked they could be insolvent they could be Um, running on a uh, fractional reserve basis and not have uh, enough to pay all of their users. Um, So having your Bitcoin in a wallet where you control the private keys uh, is kind of like Bitcoin 101. Um, So you can do that uh, using a mobile wallet, a desktop wallet or or a hardware wallet. So uh, speaking about hardware wallets, you you asked me to sort of uh, state some of the, the good ones. Um, I'll start by stating my obvious bias. Uh, for those that don't know, I work for a company called Foundation Devices, uh, and we actually manufacture a uh, air-gapped hardware wallet called Passport. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm a little bit biased, obviously, but I genuinely think that we offer one of the best uh, solutions to holding your keys. Um, you can essentially think of it, um, we, we share a lot of the cold cards uh, underlying code. Um, But we've kind of, or we believe we've packaged it in a sort of um, more approachable um, and easier to use uh, interface that might be easier for newcomers to the space to to interact with. It's um, much like the cold card. It's a device that operates uh, without needing to be physically connected to any other device. So you can connect it to... um, your uh, desktop wallet or a phone wallet, like Blue Wallet, you can do that all via QR codes. Um, you know, in a matter of seconds, uh, which yeah. uh, is where codes. we sort of.
2: I'm just sorry. The QR codes make things so much easier too for new people because there's no having to shuffle the SD card from the mm-hmm. cold card back to the computer and then back again. Um, I haven't used one of those. I I saw it and I was going to ask you about it and I'm very interested in it, especially because they offer the ability to buy it with Bitcoin and they'll return. If, if the bitcoin appreciates in the amount of time before you receive this passport you're going to get the the change back right is that
0: correct exactly is- so if you if you were to order today um and you pay in sats um it's 199 to pre-order we're going to uh, ship in february next year um if the bitcoin price does a, a 10x then you'll get the difference of those sats that you sort of uh, you know, uh, you would have lost out on. We'll give you that back when we ship the device. So whatever the price is, uh, when idea. we ship the device. Uh, you, so you've you've essentially uh, reserved um, one of our hardware wallets uh, and you haven't lost the exposure to the upside of Bitcoin. Um, so really unique um, uh, sort of... Uh, approach to it i I wish it was my idea so i could take all the credit for it but it was zach our uh, ceo's uh, bright idea and uh, it seems to have gone down an absolute storm because the the pre-orders are are flying through
2: i'm tempted to do it myself honestly and
0: that (laughs) single reason
2: that single reason right there is why i'm like you know what maybe i will
0: do you know what the other the other consideration as well for, for you guys that are in the us that have got access to services like strike um is that um, you can, uh, obviously, I've, I'm not talking from a personal experience here, but my understanding of Strike is that you can link your uh, your current account, your your sort of bank um, account, uh, and you can um, be debited dollars uh, and pay the, a third party in Bitcoin. So you can leverage that um, benefit that I've just said about pre-ordering the device without actually having to spend any sats.
2: Uh, great point, actually. Didn't think it yeah. out.
0: So you, right, you get happening. the benefit of the upside, yeah, uh, without ha- having to part way part ways with any sats at all.
2: Wait, so you so you get a passport as well as a Bitcoin call option for February of 2022, essentially. Yeah,
0: essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a good way to put it. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's our new arbitrage opportunity, Josh. We're gonna. QA, I'm gonna it's buy i uh, am I'm gonna buy ten of them, and I'm gonna sell them to other guys at the firehouse, and
0: uh, I'm gonna get that exposure to that. 22 call option i think you might be onto something there <laughs> <laughs> um so just to to you know aside from me shilling uh my my uh, work location um for those that are more advanced uh you touched on earlier the the call card um is a great device um i run one myself um it's obviously less uh approachable to newcomers it's sort of uh more geared towards um more hardcore users that aren't afraid to kind of um, dig around in the menus a little bit to, to get the full functionality out of it the flip side to that is that there's more functionality on the call card so advanced users might be able to take advantage of um different functions uh, that might not be focused towards beginners like uh, deriving child seeds from the original uh, seed or um uh, Exporting different types of wallets as well. That again, just is more sort of focused uh, towards advanced users. Um, but yeah, still a great device for for those that are happy to dig around a little bit.
2: As far as uh, very very beginner devices, do you have a preference over Ledger or Trezor? Do you do you see one of those as superior? I know that Ledger
0: is a closed source system. Does that bother you at all? Uh, it does bother me. I, I, Try try and pride myself to be a, a sort of a proponent of uh, free, and, free and open source uh, hardware and software. From a security standpoint, um, Ledger has got a very, very good track record. They make a device, you know, it was my first hardware wallet back in 2019. It was the first device I ever bought. Um, they make it, you know, they, it comes with its own app. They make it very easy to, uh, to interact with. Uh, they've got good documentation um but the the defaults uh you, you know in terms of um how you use that device is not great for your own privacy um but again a newcomer coming into the space probably isn't going to value that initially um but if they are you know they're anything like myself they'll kind of look back on that and and cringe a little bit um yeah. but in terms of comparing the the ledger and the trezor um I haven't actually used the Trezor, um, but purely from an ideological standpoint, I'd, I'd be more likely to recommend a Trezor um, just because of uh, the the way that they operate. And also because of the fact that Ledger had that big hack um, of all of their customer data. Thankfully, I wasn't um, uh, affected by that. But for the people that um, have not heard about that, but essentially the... They, their database was hacked with all of their customers' names, addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, um, and home addresses as well. Um, so uh, it, it's kind of uh, scary to think that there's a list out there doing the rounds on the on the sure. internet, where somebody could, um, you know, with bad intentions, pick up that list, see who's in their local town, and go and pay them a visit because they know they've got a ledger and they might have some uh, Bitcoin stashed in their house somewhere.
1: I wanted to back up just a second, QA, because I think this could be additive for our audience. Can you explain as simply as you can, what is a hardware wallet actually doing? Because I think there are a lot of Bitcoiners that don't understand what's actually going on on one of these devices. They just suppose that's where your Bitcoin is. Can you explain what these devices are and how they actually interact with the Bitcoin Mm -hmm. protocol?
0: Yeah. So hardware wallet, unfortunately, is a name that's stuck, but it kind of gives uh, it's a bit of a misnomer and it gives a a false impression of what the device actually does. Because like you just said, Dan, it gives the impression that the Bitcoin is on the device when that's not actually the case. Uh, A better term for a hardware wallet that seems to be getting a little bit of traction, whether it's going to sort of overturn the legacy name, I don't know, is a signing device. Um, which mm, is, is a little bit more, a little bit more accurate. So um, the main function of a hardware wallet is to uh, it stores the keys, which are the access to your Bitcoin. Um, so it's kind of a dedicated device. It has you know uh, one main purpose of keeping that sort of secret um, secure, so that when you're interacting with different wallet software, um, you don't ha- actually have to you know put your Bitcoin uh, private keys, which are again, like I said, the the ability to spend the Bitcoin. You don't have to put them on, say, an internet-connected device uh, that might be affected with malware, like your computer or your phone. Phone to me a little bit more secure. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're kind of like an offline way to uh, store your Bitcoin private keys. That's the first main purpose. The, the second one is that um, when you're interacting and, and creating uh, transactions, um, you can uh, do that without like I say, having to to have your private keys online. I kind of just repeated what I just said, really. Um, But it's a case of a dedicated device that you can sort of sign your transactions, uh, whereby it sort of um, removes or or diminishes the attack vector that, um, let's say somebody was to steal your phone out of your hand. If you've got your Bitcoin um, in a mobile wallet um, and they can steal your phone and it's unlocked, they say they grab it out of your hand when you're on the street they can steal uh, anything, all of the Bitcoin that's in that phone wallet. Whereas if you've, um, you're have you using your phone to manage uh, your hardware wallet, if they steal your phone, they can't spend anything um, out of the wallet that's protected with your hardware wallet because they need the hardware wallet as well. So it's that extra layer of protection where... Um, you know, if you've just got small amounts, um, you know, let's say you're just dipping your toes into to the space and you're buying a couple hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin to see if if you like how it works and you know just to see how things go, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever to spend another two hundred dollars on a device to store it. Right. And this is when you sort of get to the realms of you know this, and 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 everybody's kind of different, but it's when you get to the realms of okay, I'm uncomfortable storing that amount of value um, on my computer or on my phone. Um, that would make a significant change to my life. if I was to lose it. That's when you want to start looking at um, uh, looking at one of these devices to sort of store or or, or um, manage the access to your your sort of life savings. Absolutely. So we talked about hardware
2: wallets a little bit. What they basically do. Do you have? There's a couple of software wallets that interact with these hardware wallets that I want to get into a bit uh, before we talk about multisig. So my two favorites at the moment. Specter and Sparrow, and I've been using them kind of in tandem, trying to decide which is the one that I think is superior. I'm kind of leaning at Sparrow right now, but I know there's some other options out there like Wasabi and um, uh, Samurai. Do you have um, Do you have a favorite? What's your What's your pick? What do you use personally? So uh,
0: you mentioned Samurai. Samurai's uh, mobile only at the moment, but it is the the mobile wallet of choice that I use. Um, It's Android only, um, but in terms of feature set um, and sort of being privacy focused, um, Samurai Wallet on uh, my phone is absolutely my go-to wallet. When we go uh, move up to sort of desktop, um, I'm pretty similar to yourself. Uh, My favorite is Spiral Wallet, but I'm also a big fan of Spectre Desktop. So... In terms of uh, basic functionality, both are fairly similar. They're just uh, an application that you download onto your computer that you can sort of manage um, hot wallets where the keys are on the computer or cold storage wallets where the keys are in a hardware wallet like we've just spoken about. The, two, the, the sort of uh, minor differences between Spectre and Sparrow that might uh, sway uh, somebody listening to this one way or the other. Um, if you don't have uh, your own node, um, Spectre has one, an optional one, built into it, where you can just click. A, you know, you can download the application, and when you boot it up first time, it'll say, you know, have you got a node? Uh, and you say yes or no, and it say, well, do you want one? And then in a couple of clicks, uh, you can have um, a node running on your computer. Uh, Sparrow doesn't have that functionality. Um, whereas Sparrow doesn't have that functionality of a built in node, but some of the extra features that it does have that Spectre doesn't have is the um ability to um connect to other people's nodes. Now, generally speaking, uh this is not great for your own privacy. However, um if you're just starting out and you just want to get used to using your cold card or your ledger uh with a with a desktop wallet, um it's a good option to just to get you started, you can that they have um some pre-selected nodes that are sort of from reputable uh people within the bitcoin space that run public facing nodes that you can just connect to 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 get yourself started and then you know when you get more comfortable with that and then you um start to run your own node further down the line you can just change the settings in the background so that it's connected to your own node um sparrow also comes with its own uh, coinjoin implementation again we're getting a bit more advanced now but um for those people that want to sort of improve their privacy uh, sparrow has that functionality as well so um they're the kind of main differences. Um, generally speaking, Sparrow also uh, has more uh, sort of granularity so that a more advanced user can sort of um, get stuck into the settings a little bit more uh, where they might want to tweak some of their transactions or some of the settings to, just to sort of um, perfect that experience a little bit. But Spectre's uh, also absolutely uh, a great sort of um, new user option.
1: You actually just sort of took the words out of my mouth with where I was gonna go with my question. Um, there's two things I wanna cover, if that's okay, to bring us back to the surface for somebody that is newer. Um, the first one is gonna be how nodes and wallets interact, which you, you just alluded to. So maybe if you, if you don't mind, define a node and then how a wallet interacts with a node. And then I think, gentlemen, before we move on from wallets, we do need to cover what private keys are and best practices for key management. Uh, before we get to multi-sig.
2: Sure, absolutely. I think that's a good point. So,
1: why don't you why don't we start with what are nodes and how do wallets interact with nodes? QA
0: Yep, sure. So, um whenever you transact uh, on Bitcoin, be it a, a send or a receive, um you have to do that through um through a node. Um so you can look at a node as your kind of um the a good analogy is, you know, you need to go through uh, your router at home to connect to the internet. Well, your um, your Bitcoin node or somebody, el- you know, if you're using somebody else's node, that is the kind of uh, interface that you would use to speak to the rest of the Bitcoin network and to be able to send or receive transactions. If you don't have your own node, then you are absolutely using somebody else's node. Generally speaking, most of these wallets will default to, um, you know, the the wallet provider will have that. They'll have, again, they'll have a public facing node so that it's easy for um, new people coming into the space to um just to get started and try out the wallet uh, so the benefits of you know why would you want to go through the through the pain of run your own node um well kind of one of the main things with, with bitcoin is that um we, we uh, want to remove uh, trusted third parties now if you are using somebody else's node they are a trusted third party their node is the one that tells your wallet uh, how much bitcoin you've got in theory, uh, if they were a malicious actor, they might be able to uh, tell you the wrong information so that you might think that you've got uh, Bitcoin that you don't have, um, which generally speaking, you know, there's there's been nothing on record of anything like this happening, but we're Bitcoiners, we're adversarial thinkers, um, right. so we, we should strive to, yeah, or paranoid, yes, good way to put it. Um, uh, so we... The benefits of running your own node is that you're kind of you're not relying on anybody else to tell you the current status of your Bitcoin wallet, how much you've got, uh, which bits of Bitcoin are in which addresses. Um, you're kind of looking after that yourself. Hope that answers the the question in a simpler way as it can. Just to tie this all together really quick
2: for somebody who's listening and might be a little bit lost because we're talking about nodes, software wallets, hardware wallets, all these different things, the basics are. When you're holding your keys and you want to cold store them to keep them safe off the internet from malicious actors, you're gonna, your keys are stored on this hardware device. The hardware device needs software to communicate from itself to the Bitcoin network. And then the Bitcoin network is essentially your node, which is connecting to the network. So you're going from the Bitcoin network, your node, your software to your hardware wallet, and then back up that stack from your hardware wallet to your software, to your node, back to the internet, to the Bitcoin network itself. So that's if you want to just kind of simply understand the throughput up and down the stack, I think that's basically, if I'm not incorrect QA, that's um, an easy way to think about it.
0: Yeah, so put simply, your node is the one that kind of uh, listens out and broadcasts your transactions. The software, the wallet software, is the one that sort of coordinates it all, and your hardware wallet is the one that sort of signs off on any spends. Right on.
1: Yeah. Here's the Dan stab at summarizing this for a just first-day noob. Correct me if I'm wrong here, QA. So your private keys are what you need to access your we'll call it balance of Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain. Your hardware wallet is what holds those private keys. And then in order to access the Bitcoin blockchain, you need to do so through a node. So if you're not doing it through your own, you're doing it through somebody else's, which isn't necessarily a massive problem to begin with. um, But it is something to graduate up to as you're in the space longer is to access the Bitcoin blockchain through your own node that you rely on and not trust anyone in between.
0: Yep. Or a happy medium would be uh, reach out to uh, a friend uh, like Josh or Dan who might run their own node and say, can I connect to your node rather than uh, the default one on my wallet? That's kind of like a really good stepping stone uh, if you know somebody like that before you can, um, you know, dive in uh, and look into to running your own node because for most people it is quite a big step um somebody who's got one you know or may have multiple uh, already up and running it might seem trivial but um i remember when i was first uh, dipping my toes into the node world and it was like speaking a foreign language um because I, you know didn't have a, a technical background um And I guess that's where the the whole communities and podcasts and books and things like that are absolutely invaluable when you start to delve uh, a little bit outside of your comfort zones. Uh, So before we
1: move on, let's talk uh, private keys and key management, QA. What is a a private key? How is it best to back it up? What purpose does it serve?
0: So again, this is one of those terms that's kind of been... uh, had its um, true meaning sort of uh, whitewashed a little bit over the years. Private keys are, like you said, um, basically the you need a private key to prove that you own a specific Bitcoin, a piece of Bitcoin that is trying to be sent. Um, users today won't actually interact directly with the true, the true uh, meaning of a private key. Uh, what you'll see when you set up a wallet um, and Thankfully, 99% of the wallets today will um, all speak the same. Uh, they all uh, abide by the same standards. So when you set up a wallet, um, you'll be given um, a list of words. that will either be 12 uh, or 24 words, generally speaking. These are um, your kind of master backup for your Bitcoin. So that, you know, I'll use the example of a phone wallet. So let's say you're setting up the phone wallet, you download Samurai Wallet. It'll show you 12 words on screen and it'll say, write these words down. These are your master backup for the Bitcoin. So let's say you do that. You've got them written down on paper. And then the very next day, you uh, drop your phone down the toilet and it's dead. It's gone. Well, those 12 words that you wrote down, um, once you bought yourself a new phone, you can download Samurai Wallet or any other mobile wallet. Pop those 12 words back in. Boom, you can see your Bitcoin again and you haven't lost anything. The principle for that is exactly the same for Mobile wallets, desktop wallets, or hardware wallets, they all abide by that same standard. So whenever you're setting up a wallet, doesn't matter which type it is, you'll be presented with some words. Make sure you write those down securely and safe, well, slowly uh, as well, because people have been known to to make mistakes. Um, And then uh, I suppose then that's when we get into the weeds of, you know, okay, great. So you've got them uh, written down on paper. Now what? The problem is, these words are written down in clear text so um, let's say uh, you've got uh, uh, a a nosy um, sibling you know if if that nosy sibling was to get their hands on that bit of paper and they knew what they meant and what to do with them then they could do exactly what I've just said they could download a phone wallet pop those words into that phone wallet um, and run away with your bitcoin and spend it into a wallet where they that they control so Whilst these backups are great and fantastic and, you know, like I say, everybody uh, sings off the same hymn sheet and it abides by this standard, um, you just need to be mindful of where you keep them and the method in which you keep them as well because paper is uh, not great at uh, withstanding water, fire or most things, to be honest with you. So the common approach uh, to sort of tackle that is most people stamp them into metal. Um, there's, there's loads of different options um, where you can sort of uh, et- you can even etch it or stamp it, like I say, into a, a sheet of metal, so that you know if your house was to burn down, then the likelihood is uh, this uh, your Bitcoin life savings are going to survive if you keep it in your house, of course. Um, so that's the the kind of uh, commonly uh, accepted approach to storing these seed words.
1: Yeah, the the I think. A lot of new Bitcoiners just view this as a backup, which it certainly is, but this is your Bitcoin. Like your your seed words are your Bitcoin. And today, if a human being sees a treasure chest buried seven feet underground, they are going to be prone to think there's a lot of money in there. And in the future, we're moving into as soon as people see 12 or 24 words written down in a safe or in some drawer next to your bed, it's going to, the same uh, ding, 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 treasures right here is going to ring. So you just have to be cognizant if you're a new Bitcoiner. These words are your Bitcoin. And maybe this is then a good segue, unless you want to throw anything else in, Josh, of the Q multisig. This is where there's no one point of vulnerability. If a nosy sibling or someone snooping around your house finds these 24 words, they're not going to have complete access to your entire treasure
2: trove. Yeah. I think multi-sig would be an awesome thing to hit on and, uh, try to just hit home on a couple of points, especially the fact that when you're, when you're operating with multi-sig and what this is when for people that are listening, it's multiple hardware wallets or multiple seed words that all culminate into one master seed word that unlocks your Bitcoin or allows you to sign. Um, You want to take it from the top QA on that?
0: Sure. Yeah, so everything that we spoke about so far uh, is using the assumption of uh, what we colloquially call a single signature where you need a single uh, private key to sign a transaction to spend. So that key could have come from, again, mobile wallet, desktop wallet, or hardware wallet. That's the typical setup. Uh, Enter multi-sig, which uses exactly the same principle. The difference being is that the wallet... um, Upon setup, we'll combine uh, any number of uh, different types of wallet to create uh, a single wallet. So a, a common uh, setup would be two, a two of three, which means that you need two signatures from a possible three that we use to set up the wallet. So let's say uh, myself, Josh and Dan, we set up a uh, a two of three multi-sig. We deposit um, a million sat into that To be able to move any SATs out of that wallet in a spend, it would need two of us to sign off on that transaction before it it would be accepted by the Bitcoin network. So to tie that back into um, the, uh, with the seed word piece that we've just said. um, So let's say, um, uh, again, I use the analogy of myself, Josh and Dan, we've all got a key, we've all got a hardware wallet at our house that is one part of that uh, multi-sig wallet if my sister was to come into my house and take my hardware wallet and my seed words for that hardware wallet, um, she gets absolutely nothing because uh, she can't spend from that because you need two signatures to be able to spend from the multi-sig wallet that the three of us set up. So you can see um, the, the massive, um, it completely removes that initial uh, attack vector of somebody seeing your seed words or getting their hands on your hardware wallet and being able to break into it, which again is very, very unlikely. These devices are highly secure. The seed words tend to be the weak link in this. Um, But uh, multi-sig does come with its own complexities um, in the fact that, uh, you know, if you if you were just a single person doing a multi sig setup, and again use the example of a, a two of three setup, that means that you need to have three different secure locations to keep your hardware while it's in your seeds. Now, you know uh, that's a quite a personal uh, thing that only you know whoever's listening to this will be able to answer. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most people probably don't have three secure locations that they would trust to keep a key to their uh, life savings. Um, but it's just something worth worth thinking about. Uh, and then we kind of get m- a little bit more into the weeds in terms of backups, uh, with a single, uh, SIG backup that we've spoken about earlier in the show, it's, it's simple. You just stamp the, the words into metal or you write them down on paper. That's it with multi-sig, you need to do that, but you also need to back up some of the, uh, I'll try and keep it simple. The, the, the metadata or the sort of, uh, the wallet structure, you need that as well as the seeds to be able to recover the wallet in a doomsday scenario. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I suppose the final thing as well that, that I always like to mention with multi-sig um, is that somebody listening to this might be a competent Bitcoiner and they might be comfortable in going through that setup process. Uh, they know how to back it up. Um, but one thing to consider is what would happen to that Bitcoiner if they were to be hit by a bus tomorrow? Is their wife, sister, son, whoever, going to, uh, number one, even know what a multisig wallet is? Number two, know it's where huge. to find all yeah. the know yeah. where to find all those keys and number three if they know both of those things do they know what to do with them when they've got all of those those yeah. uh, pieces back together so the the consequences of not having uh, a good sort of uh inheritance plan um especially with multi-sig is, can be quite dire uh so i suppose there's probably people screaming at their headphones now saying well you know just write the instructions down
2: I was just going Which to bring then, that up, but then that's another, that's an OPSEC issue right there.
0: Like somebody yeah, exactly. finds that
2: and they mm-hmm. can,
0: you know, follow the rabbit trail. Yeah. So you absolutely exponentially more secure from, from, a, 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 you know, people being able to steal your Bitcoin. There's no doubt about that. But it does bring in a lot of other caveats that people need to consider before they dive in yeah. um, and, and do this themselves.
2: There is a couple other options I think that we should highlight for people. So multi sig is, um, it's incredibly secure, as you said, it, but it does bring some more complexity. But there, there's a couple of other ways you can secure your Bitcoin superior, I think, than just a single signature, but it doesn't quite... And it gives you it gives you a bit more security than a single signature, but it doesn't quite cause all the complexity of this multi-sig setup. And one of those is a passphrase on a single signature wallet. And um, I'm not going to steal your thunder here, QA. I'd, I'd like to... I, could you go I, over that? I, yeah, is, Josh, tell is? me
1: if we're in alignment here. I'm interested to hear him I sort of see three options in this in this sphere you just mentioned, Josh. Tell me if you agree. One is passphrase. The other is seed with uh, a cold card. And the third car. is like a Shamir backup.
2: Right. All um, three of those. Yeah, I was going to go into each one of those.
0: So... Um- yeah. So a a, a passphrase pass uh, for those that are listening is, um, so we, we spoke about seed words. So you've got uh, a wallet will give you 12 or 24 words when you set it up. That's the, the, the normal, the standard. You can optionally add an additional word or phrase to that initial uh, bunch of seed words as like an extra layer of protection. Um, so that, uh, if again, uh, in the nosy sister scenario, she gets a hand, uh, her hands on your seed words where you stamp them into metal. If you've applied that wallet with a passphrase an additional word or phrase, then, uh, if she was to steal those seed words, put them into a wallet, uh, she sees absolutely nothing. She sees an empty wallet. She would actually need to grab hold of your seed words and your passphrase, uh, and enter those both at the same time into the chosen wallet software or device to be able to access your kind of real wallet. So um, it's that extra layer of protection. Uh, the caveats are that um, if you do use a passphrase, don't store it with your seed words because it completely negates the the benefits right. because right. You, you're storing both of those secrets together. Um, if you apply a passphrase and you back it up, but you lose it or you forget it, uh, you've lost access zero. to your Bitcoin. You have zero Bitcoin. Yeah. So it's uh, a great option, um, but you just, again, need to be cognizant of the implications of, uh, you know, you've now got two things to back up. Um, so again, you need two secure locations that are not together. Um, uh, I suppose one of the, the obvious ones is that people will try to uh, remember it as well. Uh, which I think is a great option, but it shouldn't be your only option. Um, it should be uh, uh, in addition to uh, storing it uh, in a in a robust fashion or on metal, uh, in a, and again in a secure location. Absolutely.
2: And then what Dan mentioned is Shamir. Shamir is um, I I don't know if it's on if it's available on any other wallets that I know of besides the Trezor Model T, and that's effectively like the perfect mix of multi sig and signal sig and one where it's a single signature, but the Trezor splits that into however many uh, segments you want, and it'll give you a series of, uh, of key- seed words for, like say you want it to be two of three, it'll break those initial seed words into um, three different par- portions, and each one of those is also 24 words, and then you need a majority, two of three, in order to get your original seed words back. So it's kind of a good compromise between single sig and multi sig in that way. And you wouldn't also you wouldn't need to have that metadata in order to recover it, which is nice.
1: Yeah, for the user like you can like Josh said you can do 2 of 3, you can do 3 of 5, I think it escalates even beyond that. Yeah. Obviously you you still have your single point of failure with the with the the wallet itself. Like you know, I guess the doomsday in every bitcoiner's mind is a guns to their head and their wallets in front of them. You know, give me your Bitcoin type thing, right? This doesn't solve that problem, but in terms of a, of a backup, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's a, a way to kind of graduate towards multi-sig or get you get your hands dirty with what that kind of feels like to have multiple sets of seed words and securing those.
0: Yeah. Just to come back on the, uh, gun to your head scenario. Um, Uh, I should have probably touched on this when we spoke about passphrases, is what you could do is, um, uh, let's say you have your 24 words, you could deposit a small amount of Bitcoin into that wallet. Uh, So let's say, you know, 5% of your total Bitcoin holdings, then you could apply the passphrase, which is essentially a brand new wallet and have all, you know, the 95% of your funds in that wallet so that if somebody was to break into your house and threaten you with a with a big wrench and say give me all your bitcoin you could give them those seed words and say here's my wallet and they'll you know if if they're a semi smart criminal they'll check that before they leave your house they'll see a small a small about about amount of bitcoin Um, they might see that as a win and then that'll be enough to get them off your case when you're safe in the knowledge of, well, the 95% of my Bitcoin is in those seed words plus the passphrase. It's in that completely different wallet. Gives you that plausible deniability. I know I've made a lot of assumptions there on what the criminal would actually do, but it gives you a a fighting chance in in a scenario just like that. So I have a a cold card and one of the features
2: I love about it is that you can have multiple uh, pins so that one pin can access a wallet that is totally unrelated to the actual wallet. Does the Passport have some feature like
0: that? Not just yet. It's on our uh, short-term roadmap. Um, we kind of uh, slimmed down the, product, sorry, the, the features initially um, just so that we could get to market uh, sooner. Um, but we've got a, a fair chunk of more advanced features that are going to be uh, implemented over the next uh, couple of months, one of those being the, the feature that you just mentioned. Awesome, and it, does it also have a secure element similar to the Cold Card? Yep, absolutely, same one. Okay,
1: I like so. Basically, the concept behind Passport, without having looked into it, is it's it's a Bitcoin only wallet. I'm assuming with kind of the same ethos and team behind it that a Cold Card would Bitcoin forward, security first above all else. But it's just a little bit more accessible than Cold Card. Is that kind of the market you guys are are going for?
0: Exactly that. Yeah. 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 You hit the nail on the head. Um, we just packaged it in, uh, what we believe to be a more sort of, uh, approachable case. Uh, it's got, a, it's got a proper, um, remember the, the types of keyboard that you had on the old Nokia phones where you could, yeah. um, so if you've got, say, you know, we've just been talking about passphrases Um if you've got a, a long passphrase that might be, you know, uh, four or five words long, that's going to take you a while to implement, uh, to type in on a call card. It absolutely worked. Don't get me wrong. But it's a much nicer experience to import uh, to import on the keyboard that we ship with Passport. Just one example that kind of makes the UX a little bit easier. So it's fireman friendly is basically what you just, just <laughs> I'll let you guys be the judge of that.
2: Yeah. We're going to have to have you send us over a couple examples to check out and review for you. If we weren't sold out, I would absolutely do that for <laughs> yeah. you, fellas. But unfortunately, there's, there's nothing left on the shelves. Think I'm proud <laughs> to have, man. I know yeah, I had to definitely. give it a shot, but I'm probably going to buy one anyway, so it doesn't matter. I'm going to have to buy some call options for uh, February 2022. <laughs> I, desperately, I'm, I desperately want to get
1: into like 87 more topics, but we got family obligations we're running up against here, gentlemen. What a travesty.
2: Yeah. QA, this has been an amazing, enlightening little chat, and I think it's going to be really useful for the people that are just getting into this stuff and are having questions about what all what all of this crazy bitcoin jargon is and i think that you really helped us illuminate that for people so thank you
0: yeah absolute pleasure guys and uh yeah i think this this i think we've only just uh skimmed the surface a little bit there so we more than happy to to come back on if you want to dig into anything else
2: oh absolutely we have a ton and would you mind giving us a little handoff to your uh your website and and the passport
0: Yep. So if anybody wants to check out the uh, the guides on wallets, nodes, privacy, um, holding your own keys, that sort of stuff, if you head to bitcoiner.guide, that's uh, my sort of homepage for all of those resources. And if you want to buy a call option for February 2022, <laughs> you can go to foundationdevices.com uh, where you can sort of uh, read up on... Um, Uh, on passport and the, the, um, we are actually making some changes to the, uh, batch two device. Uh, I can't share too much at the moment, but keep your eyes peeled on the Twitter and the, uh, and the website. We're going to be sharing the sort of improvements that we've made to the device, uh, for the, for the batch two over the coming weeks. Awesome. Yeah.
1: If you're not following QA on Twitter, you're making a mistake, pure signal. So, um, yeah. Stop what you're doing and follow him on Twitter because he is uh, an incredibly useful voice for Josh and I. And I know anybody that uh, has questions and needs a little bit of hand holding through this uh, Bitcoin process.
2: Yeah, I think we all do. I make I make mistakes all the time with this stuff and I just experiment. So just play with it. Play with very small amounts of money so that when you screw up, you don't cost yourself a lot of money or just use uh, learn how to use the test That would be useful, too.
1: Yeah, QA, I think a good place to end is for me to just put an exclamation point and an emphasis on what you said about inheritance planning. Um, This stuff is really cool. There's so much optionality in securing your Bitcoin. But if you were to drop dead right now, is your kin, your spouse, your kids, are they going to have access to what is probably some of the biggest wealth building you're going to do in your life? And if that answer is no, then that solution is not viable like explore with a small amount of coin, make sure everybody around you or or whoever's gonna inherit this is comfortable before you graduate to these more complicated schemas.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. uh, Completely co-sign that. And and generally speaking, uh, keep it simple for as long as you can. Uh, More people will screw themselves out of their own Bitcoin than will get hacked and uh, lose it via that method. Absolutely.
2: All right, QA, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Here. pleasure guys thank you very much for having me
1: thanks for listening into the show if you enjoyed this discussion be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts and if you have an extra minute go ahead and leave us a review you can also follow us on twitter we're at blue underscore collar btc we invite questions comments and inquiries of any kind and our email is blue collar at gmail.com We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.